have guessed that, but uh, I'm really excited about this sermon this morning. I hope you guys are, are growing and learning in the book of Luke just as much as I am. And I um, challenge you guys to, um, throughout the week, study the book of Luke. You, there's no surprise. We're going to be in Luke for quite a long time. So go ahead and start studying that on your own so that when you come in here, it's just affirming what God's calling you and, and what he's showing you. So um, just be in the book of Luke on your personal time. I, it's, it's good. It's really good. But I want to ask you guys a question before we start. My question is real simple. Who are you? Okay, so I really want to know. So in a few quick words, right? Not, I don't need a paragraph out here, but in a few quick words, I want you to tell me who you are. Okay? I'm going to give you about 10 seconds to think about that. Because some of y'all probably need to think about it for a second. Ooh. All right, on the count of three, everyone just tell me who you are. Ready? One, two, three. Who are you? Okay. I didn't hear anybody's name. <laughs> uh, but it's important for us to know who we are. Right? If, if you do not know who you are, if you don't know your identity, you will fall for anything. You will believe anything that's said about you. You'll, you'll do anything just from what the world's telling you to do. If you do not know who you are, man, you're in trouble. And and what we're about to get into is 12 years old, Jesus Christ knew exactly who he was. And more importantly, he knew who God was. And and we're going to look about uh, in this story about what that means for us today. Because believe it or not, what Jesus says as a 12-year-old boy impacts us greatly today in 2018. And I'm excited. So let's pray. We're going to dig in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for um, meeting us here, God, being in our worship, being in our Sunday school classes, God. Uh, We feel your presence, Lord, and we just praise you for the things that you're doing in our lives as individuals. But we also praise you for what you're doing in this church, God. Um, We just pray for revival in this church, revival in our hearts, God. Um, But Lord, right now, as we're coming to your word, God, we pray that uh, we would remove all distractions, God, that we would focus on you, Lord, and that our spirits would be um, so submissive and obedient to you, God, um, that when we hear these things, Things, Lord, we know it's your word. So, God, I pray that you just make it clear to us what you are wanting to say. Um, God, remove me from the picture um, and just shine, God. Uh, we just want to make much of you. Uh, Lord, we love you. Uh, forgive us where you fell. It's in your son's name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. And filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. Okay, so if you're not really uh, familiar with Old Testament, if you didn't really grow up in the church, um, it's mandatory for all the males, all the Hebrew and Jewish males, to participate from the age 13 up in all of these festivals. And there's all kinds of them. Um, They had the Feast of Passover, of Pentecost, of the Tabernacles. Um, But this time of the year was the Feast of the Passover. And so every 13-year-old boy had to come into Jerusalem, make the long journey into town, and participate in this feast. Right, and it was kind of their passage in the manhood. Um, the Jewish community, um, they still celebrate that, and it's called Bar Mitzvah. Right? So it's kind of their passage, you know, now you're a man. And, and so this is what's happening. Jesus, at this point, is now 12 years old. 
And so it's about one more year before he gets to participate in all of these festivities and rituals and, and traditions, right? But it wasn't uncommon for the father to bring up an 11-year-old or 12-year-old boy to see how everything went down, right? And, and for me, I remember when I was uh, in our family, before you can go hunting, you have to be 10 years old before you can go hunting, right? And I remember at 10 years old, on my, in the year when I turned 10, I remember just being so excited, like, man, I can't wait to go hunting. It's going to be awesome, right? I waited my whole life. And then about 4, 3, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, I hear the whisper from my stepdad, hey, buddy, you, you ready to go hunting? And at my eyes, I was ready to go, right? So this is kind of what's happening with Jesus. His whole life, from a little kid to now he's 12 years old, he's getting excited about this feast, He's been in training. His dad's been telling him about it. And now they're there. And he's just kind of seeing, man, next year it's about to go down. Right? And so that's, that's what's happening here. One more year, Jesus would go through all this. He would be considered a man. And he'd be a son of the commandments, meaning he, he went through with all the rituals, rituals and religious stuff like that. Uh, so now that's a little, little background. Look at verse 43. And when the feast was ended... As they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. So typically this feast will last about a week, right? And, and so the, the time is up. It's time to go home. And, and what they did was this family, they traveled in a big caravan. I want you to think literally a massive herd of people, camels, donkeys, just a massive caravan. And they did that for a few reasons. One, for protection. They're going through Samaria. They're going through all these, these hostile areas. And so they wanted protection. Other reason was, hey, it's more resources, more water, more food, right? And, but really, the, the real reason is they traveled together as a family. Um, you guys know that, that saying, more the merrier. I love that. I, for me, I want to be around 100 people. I love it. Some people, they just want to be about two of them, right? And so, but in this caravan, more the merrier. There's friends, there's family, there's your second cousin you haven't seen in a long time, right? And you're just meeting people. It's awesome. And so what's happening here is they don't know where Jesus is, okay? Um, how many of you ever lost your kid at Walmart? Go ahead and raise your hand. It's okay. Or maybe you forgot him at church, or, or I've seen some of the husbands raise their hand and the wife elbowed him, right? Uh, it's okay. It happens, right? But th- so what's happening here, they, Jesus is not there. And, but for them, Mary and Joseph, they really weren't tripping on him. They figured Jesus was probably with their co- his cousin, or maybe he met a friend. And so they just continued on their journey. But after a day of not finding Jesus, right? How many of you have ever experienced this as a parent? Your heart kind of flutters a little bit. Where's my kid? Right? All of a sudden, it's no longer, oh, they're at the neighbor's house. It's, where is my kid? And so they start looking around. Hey, have you seen Jesus? No. Have you seen Jesus? No. And then they start making their way back into Jerusalem. All right? Jesus stayed behind. And so a lot of people at this point, they try to say that Jesus sinned. That he deliberately knew his parents and family were going, but he chose to stay behind. And so I want to ask you, did Jesus sin? No. Jesus did not sin. Jesus cannot sin. He did not sin. And he would not sin. Jesus knew, and we're going to get into it. He knew he had a purpose and a mission um, to be back in Jerusalem. And we're going to get to that in a second. But I just want, to, I just want you to hear this. In Hebrews 4.15, talking about Jesus. Tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Hebrews 7, 26, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. That's Jesus Christ. He did not sin. 1 Peter 2, 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So Jesus staying behind, he knew that there was a purpose for him to be in Jerusalem. And we're about to see that purpose here in a second. But Mary and Joseph, they searched through all the group. They did not find Jesus, so they made their travels back to Jerusalem. Now look at verse 46. This is when it starts getting good. I love this stuff right here. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Okay? So here's what's happening. They found Jesus Outside of the temple courts, right, we, we knew that um, it wasn't inside the temple because Mary was there and women weren't allowed in those times in the middle of the temple. So they're in the outer courts and Jesus, 12 years old, is in the middle of all these teachers and Pharisees and doctors and all these higher up educated people. And not only was Jesus in the middle of this circle, he was speaking. He was asking questions. He was understanding what they were saying. He was giving responses. And it says that they were all literally amazed at what Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, understood. Right? And and so, to me, there's no way, as a 12-year-old boy, I would have said anything. You guys would have been amazed at it. Okay? I promise you. When I was 12 years old, I preached my very first sermon. Right, Don McIntyre, y'all know Don McIntyre. Um, I came forward and asked, I told him, man, I think God's calling me to be a preacher. And he said, praise God, you're preaching next week. Right? And, and, and as 12 years old boy, man, I spoke for about seven and a half minutes on John 3.16. Right? I didn't say anything special, I promise you that. Um, but it's about being um, submissive and obedient to God and his calling in your life. Man, my uncle, who was a Mormon, was uh, converted into Christianity, not because of what I said. He literally told me that. He said, I don't know what you said. But you standing up there being submissive, God spoke to my heart. And so here's 12 years old Jesus who is speaking profound things, amazing, everybody around him. All right? Now look at verse 48, because this is when parenthood gets a little hard, right? Verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? So behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. So here's what's going on. Mary's mixed. She first of all, she sees her baby boy. Knowing that he's special, right? You, I don't have to recap that whole story about Jesus and Mary. But she knows there's something special about my baby boy. And she sees him in the middle of these doctors and these teachers and these Pharisees and all these priests. And he's literally blowing everybody's mind. But he also disobeyed, right? And so she's going, Jesus, what are you doing? You're freaking us out. And, and I'm not a parent, right? I got a dog. I'm not a parent. Um, we, we try to pretend like we're parents, right? but we're not parents. But I was a youth pastor. And there were many times, and I want your parents, if you agree with me on this, there were many times as a youth pastor that one of the middle school boys would say something very inappropriate, but very funny. And I had a hard time not laughing at what those boys would say, because I knew if I laughed, if I approved of what he just said, the rest of the boys came, they're going to go crazy with it. 
right? And so how many of you have ever experienced that? Your kid did something wrong, but it was cute or maybe funny, right? And you just couldn't help go, oh, man, you can't do that, right? Or just say it when no one else was around. Just say it to me, right? That's what I would tell them. Um, but that's what's happening here. She was mixed. Mary had an extreme version of this. Her son, um, she had to be proud, but she was also very hurt and probably stressed out. And, and in her mind, she probably thought that Jesus was sinning, that he deliberately disobeyed her. But she did not know um, what Jesus was about to do here. Right. So look at Jesus response. This is this is literally the center of the text. If you've zoned out at this point, zone in right here, because this is the center of this text. These these are literally you guys realize this is like the earliest documented words we have of Jesus right here. So I want you to see this with me. Verse 49. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house. Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? That's deep. And if, if, you, don't, if you don't see it just yet, hang on with me. But this is a very deep, profound statement by 12-year-old Jesus. And, and this statement that he has has so much theological importance. And it shows us a few things. First of all, it shows us um, who even as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus understood who he is. Look at verse 49. He said, I must be in my father's house. I must be obedient to my heavenly father. I must be about my father's business. This is Jesus. But what's more important about this statement is if Jesus is saying he must be in his father's house, that tells us something. That tells us something that tells us that Jesus is the son of God and God is his father. That's big news, because what that means is Jesus isn't just some normal 12 year old boy. What that means is this boy isn't just someone who's just going to live life and just like the rest of us is kind of trying to be good. That means that Jesus doesn't grow into a man and just happens to die on the cross for us and we celebrate what he did. What that means is that Jesus is the son of God and his whole life purpose is to come down, humble himself into a man, to live a perfect life that we couldn't live so that he can be a perfect sacrifice for us and for his heavenly father. Jesus is the son of God. He has to be about his father's business. That's deep. 12 years old, that's deep. He's not just some excited 12-year-old boy. I want you to check this out. There's no, if, there's no parallel or similar phrase for my father referring to God in the Old Testament. There, there is none. If it, to, literally, I just want you to think about that. None. Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, had understood that he had this unique relationship with God the Father. Right? He, he knew his identity. Most grown people, we don't know who we are. That's why we try to find our identity in money, in success, in a relationship, in a car, in a hobby, in, in our children, in our grandchildren. But Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, knew exactly who he was. He was the Son of God. If you were with us last week, he is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord's salvation. This is Jesus Christ. He knows who he is, and that is a good thing. 
He knew exactly who he was. I want you to look at how deep this un- and, and his understanding is of his own identity. To put that into perspective, the Old Testament, y'all know, 39 books, God referred as Father only happens 14 times. None of them are personal. None of them are my Father. All of them are Father of my nation, Father of our people. None of them are personal. Jesus steps into the scene. The first documented words that we have of Jesus, he calls God my father. That's profound. That changes the game. That changes literally every aspect of Christianity that Jesus is exactly who God has been saying he is. My son and with whom I'm well pleased. And here's Jesus Christ. After he, come, he steps in and says, my father's house, he, um, we see that 60 more times in the gospel accounts. Four, in four books, we see Jesus calling God his father, a personal my father. And Jesus never uses another phrase after that. My father. And that's good. Amen, you guys with me? But here's what I want you to see. Look at verse 50. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. They didn't get it. And and matter of fact, Mary, his own mother, still wouldn't understand fully until the day Jesus died on the cross. She, she just didn't understand who her son actually was until it was time for Jesus to die on the cross. But Jesus knew exactly what was going on. In, in the midst of, of the unknown and, and kind of the chaos of life, Jesus knows what's happening. He knew exactly. He knew because uh, of everything, his identity. He knew that he had to be obedient still to Mary and Joseph. He knew, yes, I'm the son of God, but I also have a purpose for my life. And so he decided to be obedient to his mother and to his, heaven, and his earthly father, Joseph, and he went home. He obeyed. He submitted to them. He never sinned. He just knew he had a greater purpose. But he humbled himself, surrendered to his parents, and said, okay, let's, let's go home. I'll, I'll stay with the caravan this time. Right? And here's, here's what happens. Look at the outcome of this. Look at the outcome of Jesus being obedient to his purpose and believing in his identity. Look at verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Jesus began to grow up. Right. I I think a lot of times we forget that Jesus literally was human. He he was 100 percent man, 100 percent God. So he had to grow up. He had growing pains. Right. He began to fill out. His chest got bigger. He got got taller, right? But not just that, Jesus, the more that he became obedient to his heavenly father, the more he began to submit to his, his earthly parents, the closer and spiritually stronger he began to grow. That's amazing that Jesus, the more he submitted, the more that he understood his purpose, understood his calling, he grew deeper in spirit and in favor with God. And that word favor is, is from the Greek word chidas, which means grace. His, he was graced in his relationship with God and graced in his relationship with men. He began to, people began to respect young Jesus. It wasn't until later on in his life where they started to hate him. 
when he began his ministry about 18 years later. But Jesus, the more that he began to submit, the, the brighter he began to shine for God. And so here, here's, what, here's what I want to talk about. And here, here's kind of like, what does this mean for us today? A lot of you look tired, so I want you to just, we're almost done. I just want you to look at me. Christians, what this means for you, if you are a Christian, you have surrendered your life to Jesus, what this means to you is you being obedient, being submissive to God in your heart and in your spirit is the key to you spiritually growing closer to God. You guys hear me on that one? If you want to grow closer to God, if you want to go spiritually stronger, you have to have an obedient and submissive heart to God's command. You cannot be disobedient to God. You cannot sit back, not do anything with your faith, and expect to spiritually grow. That does not make sense. You guys know the saying, if you don't use it, you lose it? If you want to grow spiritually stronger and closer to God, you have to grow into an obedient and submissive heart and spirit. That's what Jesus did. To be a Christian means you are a Christ follower. If you live in America, that makes you a what? An American. To be a Christian means that you are following Christ with all of your life. Every aspect of your life, from your job to your marriage to the way you raise your kids... Everything, the way that you act as a church member, all of that is following Jesus Christ. And as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus paints us the perfect model of spiritual growth. And that spiritual model is very simple. Submit to God's will. That's it. If you want to grow closer to God, you want to grow spiritual, spiritually. If, if your life is kind of missing something, submit to God. Be obedient to his command. And, and that starts with you kind of like Isaiah in the Bible saying, here I am, send me. That you having a submissive heart and a submissive spirit starts with you going, here I am. I got a friend named uh, Chandler Frazier um, who, who works at a church in Houston. And, and he got to preach a few Sundays ago and, and he put a little 30 second clip on Facebook. I shared it because I love it. And, and basically what he says is humility starts with you being willing. You raising your hand and saying, God, I'm here. I'm willing. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what you take me to do. I don't care if it's away from my family, if it's scary. God, I'm willing to be obedient to you. That's where it starts. That submissive heart starts with you just saying, here I am. Your will over my will, God. Let me be about my father's business. So the first thing we pull from this is, man, guys, if you want to grow, you have to be submissive. But the second thing, I think this is the most important thing from this text, is, is Christians know who you are. Know your identity. Jesus knew that he was the son of God and that God was his father. And him knowing that profoundly produced a submissive character and a stronger faith. And so what that means for us, if you're a Christian in here today... You being connected to Jesus makes God your heavenly father too. Just as John proudly proclaimed, beloved, we are God's children now. You are an adopted son and daughter of the king. 
That is your identity. When you come to Jesus Christ, your identity is no longer who you used to be. Your old life has passed away, and behold, here's the new. So when you come to Jesus, your past is not what your identity is. What you currently did, that's not your identity. When you come to Jesus, he is your identity. Paul said, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Your identity is Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian. And knowing that, knowing that Jesus died on the cross so that you could have a new life, so that you can have a new identity, knowing that, knowing that God is your heavenly Father, knowing that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you as a Christian today, knowing that that should make you want to go and be submissive to God's commands. Knowing that everything that we are literally about to to celebrate Jesus and his body being broken on the cross, being beaten for us, dying and his blood shedding, the songs that we sing today, knowing all of that should make you want to go and serve God and serve people. There's nothing else in the world that matters. Jesus is my identity. The world might tell me, Donnie, you're, you're from... You're from, you're from the ghetto. Donnie, you don't have a great education. Donnie, you don't remember what you used to do in the past. Donnie, remember when you were younger and you used to do... The world tries to throw that stuff at me. The enemy tries to throw that stuff at me. But if I just remember, God, what is... God, you are my heavenly father. Jesus, you are my identity. I can put the enemy in the world in its place. And when I think about, man, I can't go to that area because what if, if, I, if I proclaim Jesus over here, maybe they won't accept I don't care if they accept me. Jesus is my identity. Amen. Knowing who you are absolutely matters. And what happens? What happens when a Christian is secure in their identity? It's crazy. Big things happen. When Christians realize, man, I'm protected by the king. You guys know that movie Taken? Where the, the guy's daughter gets kidnapped. Me and John were talking about this. The guy's daughter gets kidnapped and he, he figures out who the person is that kidnapped his daughter. And he's like, I will find you. I've, I have a certain set of skills. You know, he gets a little crazy. If you haven't seen it, it's crazy. It's a, it's a crazy movie. God is my father. I'm adopted by the king. You better believe I can stand boldly and proclaim how good my God is, how good my Father in heaven is, and not have to worry about man. And, and the thing, I, the thing I, I hate the most about our world today, and I, I want to be clear about this, I love my country, but I love the kingdom of God way more. I care way more about my heavenly father and his business than anything else. And so when, a, when Christians are secure in their identity, when they are submissive to God's will, big things happen. When a church decides, no longer our will, God, but your will be done in this church and in this community, that's when revival happens. But it starts with us Modeling Jesus Christ, humbling ourselves, submitting in our heart to God, and being submissive in our spirit to God's will, 
and knowing who we are. But more importantly, knowing who Jesus Christ is. And so I'm going to have the, the Camille and Sally, y'all come on up. Here's what we're going to do today. Today we're, we're literally going to practice the Lord's uh, communion, Lord's Supper. But I need to ask you, who are you? Who are you? Really, I want you to think about who are you? If you are a Christian, if you submitted your life to Jesus, you are a child of the King. But if you haven't been living like that, and this is a challenge for me too, I have to daily remind myself, man, God, look what he did for me. If you're not being submissive in your heart and being obedient to his will, rededicate your life. Repent of that. Get back on track, whatever you want to call it. Just come tell God that you're ready to be about his business once again. Raise your hand. I'm here, God. Use me. If you're not growing spiritually, the first step is for you to submit your life to him. If you've never, if you, if you can't answer that question, who are you? You know, you can today. What we're about to celebrate is everything that Jesus did so that you don't have to pay the penalty of your own sin. But he did it. And so as we, the Bible calls us, as we um, practice the Lord's Supper, the Bible tells us before we do it, partake in it, we have to examine ourselves, examine our hearts. If you've never been in church when we did this, this might be a little awkward to you, but I'll explain it as we go. But the Bible tells us, do not even partake in this if there's something in your heart that, that isn't in right standing with God. And so Christians, this is, this is for Christians. Christians in here, if there's something going on in your heart that maybe you haven't asked God to forgive you yet, if there's uh, something you have against another person in this building, in this room, handle that. I'm just going to have Sally. We're not going to sing for a little bit. I'm just going to have Sally just continue to play. If you need to pray and ask God to forgive you, here's the altar. Come get right. If someone in here, is, is there, if you're hurting or I don't know if you need to forgive somebody, pull them aside and do it. I'm going to be right here. If you have any questions about your faith or your identity, I'm here to talk to you. But before we, before we have a time of response, before we get into the Lord's Supper, we have to, have, we have to do this. And so everyone just go ahead and close your eyes. Stay where you are. Just close your eyes. I'm going to pray. And if you need to handle your business with your heavenly father, come do so.